if someone from Dublin does it, he actually doesn't. He's not telling it. Ah, this is culty bias. This is bias against culty. Yeah, here, but so we a, can't say it, but you can say it. Yes. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app. Hurling on off the ball with Board Gosh Energy. Hurling, it's anyone's game. All right, Anthony Nash. Good afternoon to you. How are you? Hi, Joe. How are you getting on? Yeah, very good. How excited are you about this game, or how worried are you? Is that a better question? Uh, yeah, it's going to be... I think every time we've come on to, we've spoken about how exciting Munster Hurling is and how every weekend has had something to come out of it, but this is a big one. This is uh, this is going to be a huge weekend, like when you see one of the top teams in the country are going to be knocked out. Um, you've been writing this week about how tradition and all that kind of stuff that comes with the red jersey exists, right? It's a real thing and how it can go either way for teams. They can either be emboldened by the magic of it or they can be somewhat intimidated by the fact that they're unworthy successors if they fail. Uh, how do you how do you deal with that as a player when you're in the middle of it? Yeah, I suppose when I first went in, like... Um like I joined the last All Ireland winning panel. I know I joked with you before that I think I was the curse because since I went in there, we never won one. Um, but uh, it was always kind of the standards, the you know that they held as a team. And then when you're looking back over the history of car hurling, you're looking at the importance of you know the number of All Irelands that are there and everything like that. Like and obviously it's been a long time, like 2005 being the last one um, since Cork has won one and. But like what I was kind of trying to get across was like every day you go as a Cork player, you still feel you have a chance no matter what. Um, you know, and I'm sure other counties are the same and people are probably looking to outside saying he's a cocky, whatever, so and so. Like, But it was just even in 16 and we had a terrible year. I felt halfway through the year that we still had an OK chance. Like, you know, I just felt that there might have been a performance in there. Um, there's definitely the kind of the weight of pressure of, especially for the last few teams, including the ones I was on, that we wanted to get over that line and bridge that gap, you know, and it's getting longer and longer and longer. Um, but like on Sunday, it's basically a monster final in its own. And I think that, you know, history and all that might go out the window, but hopefully the fact that the Cork players are playing for Cork, that, you know, they'll get that extra percentage or two from it. Where, when you're thinking about the game and, and the matchups and the the styles and the clash of styles and what we've seen over the last couple of years, we'll talk about the thing that makes you scared of what might happen at the weekend or whatever the the negative is, but what gives you some hope and positivity about, like, when you're thinking about it, actually, you know what, there's a, there's a, there's a window, there's a chink of light there for us. Yeah, look, we're not going to, you know... We're not going to get away from the fact that Limerick are going to be obviously still favourites, like in their home pitch. But the one thing Cork do have is their ability to score goals. You know, they've gotten goals when, when needed. And, I, and even I know against Tipperary, they got four goals to get a draw, which obviously isn't an ideal statute. Like, you getting four goals in winning games. But the ability to, to get goals and the pace. And for me, the last day against Clare, I thought, you know, Damien Cahillan down here gets an awful doing, like from the crowd, you know, about his performances and stuff like that, like, which is completely unheralded and wrong. Um, I thought their full back line the last day was exceptional. I thought Sean coming back in was huge and marked a great player in Mark Rogers. Damien had a great, jo- a great game at full back in Niall O'Leary. So you're going down to Limerick where they're potent of Seamus Flanagan, Aaron Gillan, and either case your Cahill O'Neill. You know, you're going down, you're hoping that these three lads will stand up and keep them to that, you know. So pace is always there. Um, pace is with Cork goal getting. And I think that the fact that the boys in the back, full back line seem to be a little bit, um, you know, in, in a good groove. And Sean coming back is huge. So, like, they're look, 
there's a chink of light. There has to be a chink of light. And, and the final thing is Pat has him playing with kind of an intensity. Like Brian Roach epitomizes it for me. Like even when Brian isn't in the game, he's still trying hard, you know, he's chasing every tackle and he's trying to hit like, and that's all the Cork support want to see. <clears throat> Pardon me, the point about pace, um, Owen Callaghan's writing today about it's actually only really valuable if you're running onto and into space. Um, that it, you know, if you're chasing the opposition when they have the ball and going back towards your own goal, it's great and everything, but it's recovery speed, and you know maybe the game's already lost at, at that point. So, are Cork better at the moment at creating the type of space that they need to? Is that why the goals are coming? Yeah, I think so. Like you know, like scoring four goals against Tipperary was was a huge thing, and even getting you know the the goals the last you know one was some a break from a penalty and everything like that. But they created the opportunity, like Shane running onto it to get fouled for the penalty. Um, I think they're starting to find a balance. Look, I think Pat has made huge improvements here. Um, I'm not going to say that they're the finest article, neither would Pat either. But you can see that the the mix from last year and the year before was full on running and running and running and going back to field and breaking the line. Now he has lads delivering from deep when needed and also kind of breaking. Now, look, Tipperary, I said it to you before, I thought they were out hurled in the middle third. You know what I mean? I thought the hurling was Tipperary were, were a lot better. And even the last day in the middle third, then again, Clare seemed to get the better. So that's the thing for me where they're going to have to look at you coming up against the best midfield partnership in the country and probably the three hardest working half hours, whoever they pick. So it's getting that mix in the middle third where you can actually deliver the ball in. Um, like people might be listening in here saying that I'm building Cork up. I'm telling you Cork have improved. Are Cork ready to win All-Ireland yet? It depends on Sunday, you know what I mean? If Limerick are gone, everyone will fancy their chances, but I think they've improved and he's trying to strike a balance between the running game and the delivery game, which which is quite important. Um, in terms of that balance, right, and look, we'll get on to Limerick and we'll, we'll do um, as, as deep a dive as we can on that, but in, in terms of striking that balance, uh, like, it, what what are the signs that it's working for you? Is it is it that the delivery to the forwards is, um, is giving them an opportunity more often as opposed to it being a dogfight, that they're actually just that, that split second of space before they're getting tackled? Like for me, last year and the year before, there was frustrations about the ball coming out and then being recycled backwards. You know what I mean? That we weren't going forward. Like, you know, like as a Cork player at senior level, you have to be willing to go forward first, get out to that middle third. And I think there's more of that happening this year. You know, the like last year and the year before was out to the cornerback, back to the goalie, out to the cornerback, working it out to the halfback. And it was just too a bit monotonous and slow at times. And Limerick really showed us up in the last two years with that. Um, and I think this year, Pat has kind of gone, look, go to the fullback, fair enough, and maybe back to the goalie, but didn't deliver it. Or go to the fullback, get it to midfield. So it's more forward hurling, you know what I mean? That that I think suits. And like we have to understand in as well, like like uh, Limerick are missing Sean Finn, but like Robbie O'Flynn, Mark Holm are huge losses and obviously Alan Connolly as well. Like So, you know, what he's done so far this year has, I think, has definitely improved. And there's been bite and fight in this team. They lost, they drew, like, they drew a tip, you know, they beat Waterford and they lost to Clare by a point. So they've been extremely competitive in each game. You know what I mean? Um, I think, like, and I, I think Pat would agree here that they were out hurled against Tipperary and the goals were needed. But there's definitely a sign of a bit more spirit and a bit more, you know, cohesion and work ethic. And that's the one thing we're always questioning for down here in Cork. Um, that like when we do lose the ball, are we actually starving to get it back? Yeah, and I think that they were starving to get it back against Clare, that a lot of their scores came from turnovers. Mm. Yeah, or listen, like the, the one thing about me, that like Clare and Limerick are going to be different, right? Clare backs follow a bit more than Limerick. John Conlon sat back, obviously, as well. You're going up against the team now the next day where they're half back and they're going to sit back. So you're going to say to me, what's the challenges? Well, against Clare, they met in the middle third and they worked very well. And it took, a, you know... 
about a 15, 20 minute spell from Tony Kelly to get Clare back into the back into the game and ahead of him, you know, which was a slight disappointment on my behalf because when you're beating Clare and Tony isn't going well, you keep making sure that Tony isn't going well because when he cocks up, it's it's like it, the whole Clare crowd is like lift from from their toes, you know. Um, but now against Limerick, they're going to face a, a dilemma of that space in the full back line where they were getting it into Harnady and Hoggy at the start. Won't be there because you're going to have Dermot Burns, Kyle Hayes and Declan Hannon sitting back, you know. Um, and I know eventually the Clare back started to get a hold of of, um, of Hoggy and, and Sham inside with the space. But like we were able to deliver the ball uh, with a better mixture last week against Clare. And again, they just, you know, the one thing about Clare and Ennis, you know you're down there for a battle. And I thought Cork brought that for the most part. Yeah, and so I, I'm... Um, referring here to some stats that have come through from uh, Sean Flynn who has written before for the Examiner and has been part of the Tipperary backroom team and I, I, I shared them with you but he was saying that actually the work rate from this team is, is fairly evident and you can see that in the scores that they're getting off turnovers like, Look this has gone back to 2012 when Jimmy came in and he said when we worked hard we were one of the best teams in the country when we didn't we were very mediocre and I, I think that message can be carried through to nearly every county but especially Cork like the talent has always been there, you know what I mean? The talent has been there, but sometimes we felt that it was probably poked at us from the outside that the ball was coming out too easy from opposition. We get to midfield, we wouldn't put in the tackle, we wouldn't hunt back, and next thing all of a sudden, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the ball in your hand, you look like a fool. And you need a plan as well, is the other side of that, is that if everybody's off doing their own individual bit of work as opposed to a collective plan to press when... Yeah, because we see it in soccer, one player presses and he looks great and everybody thinks, oh, he's trying his eye strings out, but actually that wasn't the plan and now all of a sudden the ball has passed him and there, there, there's overloads all over the pitch. And it's a... You know, it definitely a lot of us were watching the game with very untrained eyes going, oh, corner forward X, he's really putting a shift in, but actually he did the wrong thing. Like for me, right, I, I was saying this before about coaching, is that you can have the hardest working player in the world, but if he's not in the right place, he's no use to you. Like he can run 12K, you can come in, I could hand you, you could hand me a GPS after running 15K in a game, but you might be after influencing it at all. But it's if you're positioned in the right place and if you are working as a unit and a team, well, then you could run 8K and be far more influential. You know, like you can have headless chickens running around the field with a, with a GPS on and all of a sudden their, their stats are through the roof. But it's, are you influencing the play in the correct way? Are you in the right place where you're stopping the opposition from delivering it? And it's not too technical either. It's like making sure that your half hours are in the right place that when the ball breaks down. Like in, in 17, we had a thing right with Dan Carney and Luke Mead, where if a ball ever came into me as a goalkeeper, their position was to come to the wing on the 65. So I knew straight away that if a short option wasn't on, Dan Kearney and Luke Mead were both breaking their arses to get to that place if they were able. So a long ball, and next thing all of a sudden, I knew where they were. And we were as a unit, you know what I mean? So they would make a 20-yard burst to come and get there. So even subconsciously, I'd look up either wing and see one or two of them. And I guarantee there's a few times where I just hit it out there and hope they were there. And it's like, you know, it's like rugby, right? When a fellow goes in with a crash ball and he's expecting to pop it, but he knows his teammate has to be there. You know, and for, for hurling, it's all grand in me saying the six forwards work hard. But if the six forwards aren't in the right position to work hard, well, then their work isn't effective. Well, yeah, so that's it. The the pop pass that goes to nobody, everybody thinks you're a clown. What are you doing? You're throwing the ball to nobody. But like, you know, that that was 100% exactly what the job was. Um, on that, right, The um, when you were hitting that, is that when the ball drops short or is that from puck outs and quick puck outs? No, no, open play. Right. Open play. If the defence, if the ball came through an open play, like in cornerback got it to me and either gave it back to me or a ball came through and stuff like that that we knew if we were under pressure if I was coming out the wing I had just they, they tried their best to be there you know what I mean like and it's, like it's not too hard it was simple enough like that they, they sprung either wing you know and 
it was just an outball in a worst case scenario if they weren't there someone else got there like you know we were just trying to make sure that we had an option no look it probably happened what twice a game three times a game you maybe you know what I mean like but still it was just very important and like the two lads were very willing to do that but what it also did right was it gave us an option that I could go to the wing back and then those two lads were still there you know and we're still defensive you know you have two wing forwards back in there on your own 65 to link to play out so like like we always look at and I think you know you look at stats there especially in club teams maybe that are just a little bit untrained and stats like I could bombard a club player with stats last year and so liberties I could have gotten them a thousand stats but what's the point your stats have to be based based on your game plan and then your game plan has to be based on your players you know what I mean so it's like it's not you know it's not just right you run 15k and Ojo and off you go like I, what did you do with the 15k yeah, well, it's it's like a tackle stat as well. Um, sometimes if you're tackling individually, you can rack up massive stats, but again, uh, they, they flick the ball around you. Can I ask you, um, we, we talked last week about Reece Shelley and his puckouts and his accuracy from them, um, and Sean Flynn did want me to ask you about uh, what you think about the risk-reward of hitting long puckouts to one-out runners. Uh, he, he says he often found Cork like to hit one-out runners, but if you won that ball against them, they were slightly open to being attacked. So it is high risk, high reward, but also... Uh, if you get turned over then all of a sudden maybe the ball's over your head before you're even back to your own goal 100% so on 17 we went a bit with that we went with that just to get it on green grass like so Conor Lahan would spring especially against Tipperary the first day he'd spring to the wing and I'd try and go there and like it's very hard to have a break in front and behind because the puck was moving so low and fast that it you know you're as you said the centre back might come in behind it and it's two and one so your accuracy has to be you know, incredible in your timing of runs that we would have practiced that at. Like, I would have been on the field for an hour and a half for training and guys coming out and I'm just getting used to their runs. And like, I had a thing where Bill Cooper, I knew when he was just about to make his run, I was pinging the ball and I knew where he wanted it and he knew where I was going to be. It was almost that structured, like, but it was down to me then to practice my puck outs where exactly when he pushed. So what he used to do was walk away from me. And as soon as I see his hand push the wing back, I strike the ball because he's coming. You know what I mean? And I knew which angle he was coming to. So, it was going one-on-one, -on -one, but we had the advantage of it, like, a three-yard advantage where my pucker had to be timed and had to be accurate. And many a time it wasn't. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not How do you see it? Like, so does it, you know, there's 18 bodies sometimes between you and him. Like, are you, you know, pretending not to look? It, yeah. it, it's all in the fake. Yeah. So, like, I, I'm left-sided, so I would have walked across the goal and kind of be looking over my right shoulder, like, as the ball is coming and you're scanning your eyes, like, rather than your head. Like, you know, so if, you're, if I'm turning my head, you can clearly see where I'm going. I'm walking across the goals and running through a puck, which you can clearly see where I'm striking it. So we we produced a puck out thing there with Sean O'Donnell where I just tried a two-step puck out rather than a run-up puck out. And a lot of goalkeepers do it now. Like, you know, I suppose the talk of slitters and I heard, did I hear a rumour today that they're trying to bring in hurlies of a certain size and, and, and Jesus Christ. Anyway, but, um, but like, it, for me, it was just like, you know, it was... Um, the two-step didn't allow the opposition. I spoke before that Brendan Maher made me think about it because the way he read my body. So I used to walk across the goal and my eyes would be inside the helmet looking this way maybe. But I knew the way Bill was walking away that he was probably my, going to be my number one option. And the reason I would go there is if the pocket of space was there. If the pocket of space wasn't there, then I couldn't do it. Okay. Can you set up, can you manipulate that pocket of space? Like, is that the, so that's the yeah, other thing. So like, so like he'd walk away, he'd walk away and then like the midfielder, but it would just look, he'd tell the midfielder to go somewhere like, you know, and then he would, what you call it, um, with the space in, like, you know, I knew that there was that pocket there and it was up to him to get there. Like, it wasn't just me. It was up to me to get it in a delivery zone. Didn't have to be into his hand. It could be at his feet. But um, but he had to get that run. 
timed well as well. And we would have practiced that over and over before training and after training and in between, you know what I mean? So it was just a kind of an idea between me and him. And it's like, I suppose you see quarterbacks and wide receivers, you know, kind of practicing. Obviously, we don't have that time nor the, nor the professionalism to do so, but it was something that we would have worked a lot on, you know. And it's interesting to hear that that's kind of slightly separate from the overall team structure planning. For me, for me with Pocos, right, your, your question, Sean's thing, like the risk and reward one for me, right, is is like basically you have a situation where you have um, when Bill caught that ball, he was one and one in 30, 40 yards of space, right? When he lost it, potentially you were two on one and we would have asked the inside forward to come out behind and try and make the defender be in a kind of a position where he's under pressure. So what Limerick then I felt have done over the years have gone with two runners. So they would have gone with two, one in behind and one in the one in forward. So Tom Morrissey, Gerard Hagerty and stuff like that would have made a double run together and obviously Graham Mulcahy would have come up behind. So for, for Sunday, if you're asking about Cork going to risk and reward, a one-on-one with Kyle Hayes in the air, a one-on-one with Dermot Burns in the air and a one-on-one with Declan Hannon isn't ideal altogether. But we try to move people. We try to move them, do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if you move them then like at least the ball is bouncing along the ground you know you kind of have no choice though at some point right you're going to have to yeah, yeah. beat yeah, yeah, yeah. Limerick's best players at, at okay not at their own game having moved them a little bit but at some point somebody's going to have to do something better than they've ever done before yeah. they're the best structure team for Puckouts and that's why I was saying it was a risk for Tipperary to throw in at that game like and look he's a very good goalkeeper and, and obviously did very well but like they allow you the middle third if you if you're if you're willing to take it, but if you're not, they're going to turn you over. Like, and I faced that in the Piercing as well. I said that to you before, but Will O'Donoghue, he was playing in the middle third for for the Piercing, and uh, and in Limerick, like we're we're the same. So they set up in a zonal thing where they say, right, try and get it over me, and then they preempt where you're going, and they just hit the brakes. Like you know, they'll have four or five bodies at the brakes before you know where you are. So that puck just has to be. Like in 2019, when we beat them down, I think it was 2019 in the first round, we just sent Aidan Walsh as the 15 roll, the third man, and told him hit, hit. Like if I went down top of Dermot Burns, Aidan was going behind him and hit him in the air, like hit the ball, break the ground in the air. Do you know what I mean? Um, so we kind of tried something different where we had a big man instead of the Graham Mulcahy size player in that position. And it worked a treat, like because Aidan was just basically coming up behind Dermot Burns, you know, competing in the air where Dermot's looking at the ball, not coming backwards. You know what I mean? And the guy from behind would just knock it down. Um, and Aiden, I don't think scored that day. And we looked at his like you were on about tackle count and GPS is there a while ago. His GPS and we had a, we had a stat run in about you know like I think it was metrics basically how much he ran, but in uh, effective manner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he was through the roof like. It well, was I, I was gonna say like I'm sure a lot of people watching that day were like I no K game, but you guys coming off like that was amazing. You know, we, we kept the ball with Limerick's hands like. You know what I mean? And and therefore then like you're thinking like another year like we kinda of played in like Dermot Burns is so good at delivering the ball, like and every team is trying to withdraw wing back, wing forward. No, we all know that, like, you know. And Cork will do the same on Sunday or whatever like that. And then you've Dermot Burns sitting in the pocket just making a fool of you, like. So like there's a huge balance there to be struck between what you do with your forwards, um, you know, in certain positions. How do you exploit Limerick? Like we're you know, I'm hearing since he came on the scene at centre back Declan Hannon we're gonna exploit him for pace. I <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it's like the, the king in chess. Like he is so well surrounded, right over ten yards. He mightn't be the fastest, but his head is so fast, his hands are so fast that, and he's got a protective zone around him that, like you know, so like they don't allow you, so they don't follow you enough to create that space. Do you know what I mean? They just basically say, "Look, we're sitting here, deliver the ball, and uh, we'll cut you out." Uh, let's talk Limerick then. What is going on with Limerick at the moment? Are they? 
very far behind where they have been in recent seasons or are they close enough to where they have been throughout Munster campaigns in recent years but that everybody else has just got a little bit closer to them notwithstanding a few of their key players are actually a little bit off colour yeah I think you're after summing it up there like look so the thing for me here is that every day go out they go out every team is is planning it like the last day Liam Cahill started his warriors his banner matters to just go and empty the tank for 50 minutes and then you know Keep keep Limerick at bay, or whatever like that, and then spring the finishers or whatever like that. Claire and Limerick is always a heavy, you know, a heavy head. And then to be fair to Waterford, and I wonder did it have a huge impact in their season, the effort they put in against Limerick that day. So let's break it back down again. They beat Waterford, they lost to Clare by a point, who put in an unbelievable performance, and they drew with Tipperary, who have improved massively over the last year. We're used to them beating teams. That's all we're used to in high standards. They've lost one game. You know what I mean? Um, I, I definitely think that. The key part was your last statement was a few of the colourful players aren't, you know, they're not playing as well. And it's just like, and the two are Keen Lynch and Gerard Hegarty, who, you know, like, really, they really need to go well. Keen is their magician. They're like, you know, the equivalent like, of Tony Kelly. And before his injury, he was the best hurler in the country. And, you know, you left him off at your peril. So not only were you not leaving him off, you were sending your centre back after him and there was a huge gap. Gerard Hegarty has shown us in massive games that he can do. But then I've, like, I said in the piece then as well, like they're one game away from scaring the shit out of the country again. Like, you know, yeah. they could come up on Sunday and absolutely. And, and again, like the, the statement of class is permanent and form is temporary kind of a thing is, is like for a Cork's sake, I hope form might be a little bit longer, you know, um, and from a Limerick perspective, they're hoping that these boys just say, you know what, let's trot the shackles, let's get back to basics, let's go again. But like for me, John has to strike a balance with the teams, Joe, uh, as well, because, He's got a lot of very, very good players and finding that perfect six up front, you know, is going to be key for Sunday. I was going to say, are you surprised that I haven't made more changes like tried Keen Lynch in midfield, moved Kyle Hayes to the forward line, just done something a little bit different to see if, if that's the thing that jolts the system back to where we know it can go? Well, I think it, it's easy for me because I'm not down in the Limerick camp, but like Kyle Hayes is into forward for me is just unbelievable a colossal man but then like Sean Finn's injury probably took that away because they would have brought in Mike Casey put Dan Morrissey out and then Kyle Hayes up now you already have Mike Casey and Dan Morrissey do you put Richie English in the full back line and move Dan Morrissey out still or did you throw Colin Coughlin in wing back to do that you know what I mean Um, and Kyle Hayes is a forward I came up against him in county and club like you know and Jesus Christ he's just a man mountain and when he decides to run at you which he's an excellent he's an unbelievable wing back as well there's no there's no doubting that but I just think when you have an attacking threat with his size and speed, I think it's it's just a, I, if I was to pick him in the morning, I'd try my best to get him up there, you know. Um, that was the one that I always kind of stood out to me. Keane Lynch in midfield in, but then Will O'Donoghue or Will, yeah, and uh, Darrow Donovan have, you know, they actually heard very well the last in as well. So, like, where do you put one of them? Do you try and drop Darrow Donovan back? I know he's played centre-back for doing before, I think. But, um, well, stick one of them in the half-back line, move Kyle Hayes yeah. up. You know, just a little bit of just anything to uh, look. Reignite, yeah. It's a bit of excitement. It's a bit of excitement. A bit of something different. Like it's like it's like me going out to buy a new driver on golf. It's not. It's it's not me. It's the driver's fault. So a change is good. Like you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> six hundred euro later, the change is excellent. Like the ball <laughs> being left. Like but like a change is. And I tried to do that in my career. I always tried to change something small every season. Be it boots, helmet, grips, hurlies, whatever. I just wanted to change it up because sometimes you can kind of just. I'm not saying Limerick are in a rut, but they're they're far from it. But Maybe that's just a little change, a bit of excitement might get their, their season kickstarted again. Well, there's nothing like staring down the barrel of defeat slash exiting the entire championship when, you know, as as we know, John Kiley was complaining about everybody penciling them in for six in a row, let alone five in a row, let alone four in a row. 
and that was that had obviously caused him to be a little bit angry angry after the first game um, so they're going to feel alive it, the place is going to be full it's going to be I think it's still going to be the same weather it is today so you know they we've we've seen them in the glaring hot sunshine be absolutely sensational it's it's Limerick hurling weather coming Sunday and uh, maybe that's all they needed the the imminent fear of death yeah like I thought the three week gap was going to serve them well I, no it did look like, like see the thing for us is how good are Tipperary you know what I mean like and I first time for Liam Cahill as a manager like he's proven in Watt for the first season he went down how well he did and I know he did last year's issues and stuff like that but the tip supporters love him the tip players love him so um, you know the three week gap might have served Limerick well enough to get him a draw but Limerick and all are in the finals aren't bad do you know they're not bad at all like when it comes to the big game they haven't a bad record there so again as a Cork person you might fear it a little bit plus you're in the Gaelic grounds with a full house of Limerick supporters so like it, look if someone was asking me to go a thousand euro down to the local bookies and put on money like I think many a fella would go with Limerick like you know yeah. um, you know there's no point saying otherwise there is that clamour of hope with Cork as well with the way they've improved and Limerick probably are stuttering along a little bit but I think a Gaelic rounds on a Sunday and a hot summer's day with a crowd behind them is going to take an unbelievable Cork performance and maybe Limerick to step off the gas a tiny bit for a Cork win. All right, Anthony, we'll leave it there this week. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. That's uh, Anthony Nash giving us his thoughts this week. A reminder, hurling, it's anyone's game. Off the Ball has teamed up with Senior Hurling Championship sponsors Borg Gosh Energy to uncover stories highlighting the positive impact that hurling has had on people's lives. For full competition details on how to enter, please visit borggoshenergy.ie forward slash home forward slash BGE dash GAA. Hurling on Off the Ball with Borg Gosh Energy. Hurling, it's anyone's game.